talking about, uh, of course, the protests that are taking place all across the country today. Uh, they have been taking place in our city and other major cities. Um, this is a group started, uh, they were they were called One Million March for Children. Uh, this has to do with policies in schools in relation to LGBTQ plus uh, conversations and um, really bringing in the idea of gender identity within a school system. Uh, so the major focus of of these policies being introduced involves New Brunswick and Saskatchewan. In those places, uh, schools would require young people to get parental consent before teachers can use their preferred first names and pronouns. And this seems to be a conversation that over the last several months has become pretty, as I said, tense. Um, but I, I want to have a balanced conversation. Whatever your opinion is going into this, uh, you're welcome to share it. Let's just let's try to be as calm and rational as we can as we discuss what side people are on and why. But let's talk a little bit about the crux of this conversation and these these protests and counter-protests with our guest, who's the program manager at EDU Firefly Institute for Gender and Sexual Diversity, Evan Westfall. Evan, thanks so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I, I just want to start with, you know, kind of acknowledging that that growing tension, because it does feel like there are really definitive sides to this conversation. Why or how do you think that we've we've gotten here in 2023 when it felt like there was uh, so much progress being made and so much open-mindedness? It feels like we've really gone backwards. Can you speak to that? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. So I think when we look at previous social rights movements throughout history, when we look at women's suffrage, when we look at black liberation, those were, those were efforts that took decades to reach any success. But um, with trans issues, with queer issues, we are in a modern age of globalization of internet, internet information. And because of that, we've been able to gain rights faster than we ever have before. And so with that, sometimes there comes a snapback of hate, almost a rubber banding effect which brings us back. And I think that's why we've had fast rights over a very short number of years. And I think that's why we're seeing a backlash against those rights now. And this really has to do with children, as I mentioned, some of the policies that are being discussed in places like New Brunswick and Saskatchewan, I know even in BC as well, the, the conversations about pronouns, how they should or shouldn't be used or addressed when it comes to involving parents. What What is it that this One Million March for Children is trying to suggest? Is it that having these conversations conversations and talking what introducing these philosophies in school is going to indoctrinate children to then be part of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, I think that's the, the the major voice we're hearing right now. And I think, unfortunately, it's misinformation. Um, in 2022, Canada released Bill C4, which banned conversion therapy, which basically said that you can't try and forcibly change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. That was based on years and years of research that shows that you just simply can't change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. And so a lot of this movement is saying that if we talk about queer and trans issues in schools, that it's going to force their children to be gay or force their children to be trans. But thankfully, our research shows that's just not the case. You can't force a heterosexual person to be gay. You can't force someone who's transgender to not be transgender. And the reason why we talk about these issues in school is so that we can address bullying and harassment. There's this 
Oh, yeah, I'll let you go. No, please go, please go ahead. Please continue. Okay, great. So there's a study that uh, organization Agal released called Every Class in Every School that highlights harassment that students experience. And 35% of students who attend Catholic schools reported experiencing harassment based on their perceived sexual orientation. 70, uh, and in, in, in all schools, 79% of trans students who had been victims of physical harassment reported that their teachers and staff were ineffective in addressing that transphobic harassment. Hmm. And so the reason why we need to talk about these issues in school is if a child is getting assaulted um, uh, because they're gay or because they're trans, we have to address it. If I don't address it and I see that harassment happening, um, I'm basically ineffective in preventing that from happening and I'm not able to create a, an environment of safety. So I would say the major misinformation that is coming here is a, people think that children are being indoctrinated when they're not. They're, they're able to have their own beliefs. Um, and then we also think that um, this information is being used in nefarious ways when really we're using it actually to increase the safety of all students in schools. I think some of these mindsets are so, so ingrained that they're going to be, they're going to be impossible to change. Certainly impossible to change if you feel a certain way and you're listening to this conversation, you feel, you know, vehemently like this should not be something that's discussed in schools and children should not be faced with that. I'm not, and Evan's not going to change your mind as you're, as you're listening to this. But I, I do think that, you know, Acknowledging the way that the world looks and that there are ways that the families look different and there are people that identify that look maybe different than your circle is something that's really important to arm kids with going forward into adulthood. So is there is there a balance that we can reasonably find? Is there a balance that the LGBTQ2 plus community is pushing towards that, that maybe could be, you know, a reasonable approach? This is the way that we could handle it within schools where everybody could kind of be, at least to a certain point, okay with it? Yeah, and I think if you look at the work that my institute does, what we're pushing for is we're pushing for safety in schools. Okay. We want to reduce bullying. We want to reduce harassment. And I think those are things that regardless of which side of the spectrum you're on, you agree on that. And I, 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 don't, I think a huge issue here is there's just a lot of misinformation. And I think people don't actually know what's happening in schools. And if you go into schools, it's not, it's not frightening. It's not scary what's being discussed. We're just um, educating students that schools are a pluralistic environment, that families come from lots of different environments. They might have different religions. They might have parents who are single parent. They might have parents who happen to be gay. And just acknowledging these things is kind of essential mm -hmm. because there's parents of those environments in schools and we can't ignore or disavow those, but we have to acknowledge that they exist. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to have the same beliefs. But it does mean that everyone deserves equity, respect, and safety. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that burying your head in the sand and pretending that it's not happening around you is a really, it's a naive way to to send a kid into into the world. What what do you think these protests and these counter-protests ultimately do? Because in my mind, Evan, you know, I see all the conversation that's happening around them, and I feel like, if anything, there are going to be now more conversations that families are going to be have talking about about LGBTQ plus and gender, sexuality, pronouns, I feel like this sort of opens the door to have those conversations e even even more. And I think that it sort of counteracts what these protesters, uh, at least involved in the One Million March for Kids, are, are really trying to accomplish, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I think it might be a little bit short-sighted on the on the part of the protesters that this is causing us to have discussions now on the radio about gender and diversity. Um, and the conversations we're having together now on the radio are the same as the ones that are happening in schools here. Hmm. And I think an, another another huge piece of misinformation that a lot of parents have is they think that they're not being informed about their children, and that's a, a, a great fear they have. I organized the Alberta Gender Sexuality Alliance Conference, which is a conference for hundreds of uh, queer and trans students and teachers across the province. And I would have to say that the vast majority of, of children and youth that I serve, um, they tell their parents about their sexual orientation and their gender identity. And a lot of the parents who um, want their kids to be safe, one of the best ways to be safe is to show that your child, that you love them, and that you're open to having discussions about who they are and how they feel safe. Because um, the only time where the youth don't tell their parents is if they're concerned that the parents will abuse or harass them yeah. when they have discussions on those fronts. So I think it's great that we're having these conversations that this is um, a, a wonderful opportunity for people to have those discussions, to hear them on the radio, and um, to have a little bit of a dialogue together. I wonder if you can address some of the comments that we're getting um, from listeners as we're discussing this, Evan. Uh, someone, and this argument comes up all the time, saying, are, are Christian straight people having parties and parades? Give your head a shake. Can you, can you speak to that, why this is different, why pride is different? Yeah, for sure. I, I think if we look at other rights movements, we have like Black History Month. And someone might make the argument and say, well, why don't we have White History Month? And I think a lot of people will sort of intuitively recognize that, oh, if, if you're a person who's white, there's probably a lot of harassment that you don't have to deal with and a lot of discrimination that you don't have to deal with. And the reason why Pride events exist is there's populations who have experienced marginalization, who want to find community, who want to maybe find a place where they don't have to worry if they're going to experience violence. And so gathering is a way to feel safer and to feel a sense of community and to share joy in that identity. So I think, yeah, I think that's kind of how I would address that as we see um, the same reason that we would have uh, a month celebrating Indigenous history or celebrating Black history is the same reason why in June we celebrate the history of Pride. Evan, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts this afternoon. I really appreciate it. No problem. Of course. Take care. That's Evan Westfall, Program Manager for EDU Firefly Institute for Gender and Sexual Diversity, talking about the protests that have uh, been planned and taken place in most major cities in our country. Protests and counter-protests, um, all centered around LGBTQ issues within schools.